Are you looking for a pleasure item that can elevate your solo and shared experiences? Check out the Eroha SVR. Our sponsor, Eroha, is a Japanese sexual wellness brand created to help everyone discover and redefine pleasure. Eroha believes that it is important to prioritize the pleasure that our bodies desire as an essential part of self-care. I'm so on board for that. The Eroha SVR is a rechargeable vibrating ring with seven vibration modes and it comes in beautiful colors. It's also waterproof, making it great for bath or shower play, and it's made of body-safe silicone. Purchase an Eroha SVR now on the official Eroha store using the link in the show notes or head to usstore.eroha-tenga.com and enter the code GIRLBONER, capital G, capital B, no spaces, to get a free Tenga Egg Lovers with your Eroha SVR purchase. What would it take to arouse your life, to experience more connection, more pleasure, more realness in and outside of the bedroom? I'm August McLaughlin, and this is Girl Boner Radio. There's like 15 minutes left in the session, and she says to me, you've done great work. I'm so proud of you. Like, this is going to be really great. I'm so excited to see what happens next. Are there any last things that you want to talk about? And if I had thought about it, I would have been too embarrassed, but I'm about to walk out the door. Imagine going to see your therapist, revealing a long-held sexual challenge you'd been keeping secret, and then setting out on a road trip aimed at spicy adventures. If that sounds like a lot, well, it was for Leah Carey. While she found her way to very sensual, erotic experiences, the start of her sexuality journey was rough. As a heads up, you'll hear about some abuse involving a troubling father-daughter dynamic in the first part of Leah's story. Um, pretty much everything that I can remember from childhood about sex was bad. My dad started talking to me about sex and about his sex life and about me as a sexual being far too young. I don't remember exactly when it started, but it was around 10 or 11 years old. And there had been sexual material around our house just always. We did lots of puzzles in my house. And there was a canister that I remember down in the basement. And it had the picture of a scantily clad woman on it. There were many boxes in our basement filled with Playboy magazines, um, penthouse, variations, which was about, quote unquote, alternative sexuality. Now, I would probably look at it and be like, yeah, that's a Tuesday. <laughs> but at 10 years old, I was deeply not ready. I was really freaked out by what I saw in those about partner swapping and restraints and just all sorts of things like kink and fetishes and all that stuff. So the result was that 
I was kind of obsessed with the idea of good sex. But also, I was terrified of sex because everything that my dad said or did felt really scary and bad. He would talk to me about his sex life with my mom and how disappointed he was in it. And he would say to me, you have to lose weight because boys don't like girls who don't have pretty legs. I have kind of heavy Eastern European peasant legs, just like my mom did. My father acted as though my legs were like the end of the world, but also he pursued my mother and married her. So it wasn't actually a deal breaker, but in my brain, it became an absolute deal breaker to the point that I believed that literally nobody would ever be attracted to me. In my mind, the story I created was the only people who would ever be attracted to me were creeps who couldn't see how broken and defective and disgusting I was. So at the same time that my dad was telling me that I was unacceptable as a sexual being, which is a deeply weird thing to be saying to a 10 or 11 year old, he was also telling me that he was going to lock me in my room until I was 30 so nobody could ever get to me and that he would break the kneecaps of any boy who looked at me. So it was like, holy fuck mixed messages, you know, like, am I so disgusting that nobody will ever see me and I will be repulsive? Or am I so attractive and desirable that I have to be protected from the world? And so my nervous system's response to that was, I am not playing in that field at all. Still, Leah had her first kiss at 17 and sex for the first time at 25. I did masturbate. It was definitely a hidden slash shameful thing. I needed to keep it hidden from my mom because it was embarrassing, but I needed to keep it hidden from my dad because it was dangerous. My dad died when I was 26 and he died very suddenly. But I remember for those first couple of months being afraid to masturbate. I don't know what happens after you die. Are you just like up there watching me? So no, I'm not going to masturbate because I don't want you to see that. Oh, my goodness. Oh, it's so much for you to, to carry from such a young age. Did you have any conversations with your mom? You said you hid things. My relationship with my mom around sex was pretty fraught. My dad's telling me that he's unhappy with her in the bedroom. He's making it very clear in front of me. I don't know what he said in front of my mom, but he would talk to other women very sexually in front of me. Now, I don't know if she was in and of herself sexually repressed or if that was something that happened in relationship with him. The only times that she and I ever talked about sex were really uncomfortable. And in fact, he is the one who did the birds and the bees talk with me in a way that was deeply uncomfortable and still gives me the heebie-jeebies when I think about it. I was 10 years old. I was going to summer camp for a couple of weeks, my first time away from home. 
on their paperwork, they had said, does your daughter have her period yet? And if not, does she know, you know, in case she gets it while she's here, does she know about it? And so my dad took it upon himself to educate me. And he turned it into this whole little like vaudevillian sketch. It was so gross and disturbing that my period, once it did come a few years later, became something that I actively tried to hide. Like I tried to deny the fact that I even had it. I I was the kid who like pushed the underwear to the bottom of the um, the bottom of the bucket did not ask for pads because I just I didn't I just wanted to ignore that it even existed. He honestly, I still get nauseous saying the words, but I will say them for only you. if you want to. <laughs> I know he made it this whole thing. And first of all, this is way more information than a kid needs. Like a 10 year old basically needs to know you have the parts to grow a baby one of the things that happens is that every month your body puts together all those parts. And then when you don't, you're not going to have a baby, it sheds. Like it can be four sentences. Yes. Age appropriate. Yeah. But what my dad did was talk about the muckus and the blued, which was his cute way of talking about mucus and blood. You don't need to talk about mucus. (laughs) Like, what is that even about? Oh, my God. Those words still make me nauseous. Oh, you poor thing. I can just imagine because even learning about the blood was challenging for me. Mm -hmm. And so to hear that just brings like a whole new level of, yeah, cringe. It was horrifying. Mm. Oh, I'm so sorry. And it's not easy to hide your period. No. And it's kind of pointless, too, you know. I don't have a lot of memory of this. I have a lot of blank spots in my memory, which is, you know, not uncommon for people who have childhoods like mine. So I don't remember the first few times I got my period, but my mom told me like she would find the underwear at the bottom of the bucket and come to me and be like, um, did you get your period? And I was like, no, no, I don't know what you're talking about. Aww. It just sounds lonely. It sounds like a very lonely experience. And I wonder if you had any support beyond, obviously not around that particular thing, but did you have in your life some kind of emotional respite? Mm. There were a lot of adults in my life. That was one saving grace for sure. I lived in a very adult-centered world. I didn't have a lot of kid friends. I never really knew how to interact with kids anyway. But I had a lot of adults who doted on me. There is a lot that I didn't talk about that nobody knew was going on. And my dad was that type who everybody loved. And then he came home and he was awful. Like we didn't get that version of my dad. So there were a lot of things I never said because I didn't want to like ruin anybody's impression of him. But to the extent that I was willing or able to share anything, I did have a lot of emotional support. Thank goodness. But she hadn't learned anything positive about sex. So when she had her first sexual experiences, they were deeply affected by the mixed and damaging messages she'd gotten along the way. 
So between 25 and 40, I would say I had three relationships. None of them were longer than two years. For some reason, that was like my <laughs> my window of I can no longer deal with your bullshit. <laughs> because, because I chose partners who were really terrible partners. I chose partners who treated me the same way my dad did. I didn't believe that I deserved or could have anything better than that. So sex was awful. In fact, with my first boyfriend, I cried every time we had sex for two years. At first, because it was incredibly painful. At some point, it became intermittently less painful, but I would still cry because I was so, it was so emotionally painful. I was so alone. It was like I existed to be a hole for him to fill. And somewhere in here, I also, it was in my early to mid 20s that I started realizing, oh, the attraction that I have to women is not the same as what everybody, <laughs> everybody else. Like I just thought, oh, this is how everybody feels about women. I was not correct about that. <laughs> then I thought, well, maybe the reason that all of this is so awful is because I'm a lesbian. I didn't have any context at that point for bisexual. That was just not a word that existed in my community. So I thought, well, if I'm attracted to women, I guess that means that I must be a lesbian. I made a really good effort at being <laughs> a lesbian for a while, but I had no skills, like not just not sex skills, like I had no interpersonal skills. And so that never went anywhere. Not at first anyway. One of her attempts at flirting led to, finally, something positive in the intimacy realm. Leah was working as a stage manager for a theater in Boston at the time, and she had a big crush on a woman in the cast. My God, she was like soft butch, which was like, oh, my God, drooling. And I would just sit and stare at her in rehearsal. It's a regional theater where they they bring everybody in from different cities and they put you up. And this particular theater had a big house where they put 18 people up in this big house. So she and I lived in the same house. And I was just useless anytime we were in the same room. I, I could not speak. One night, there was a bonfire party. And I did not drink. I, I've never enjoyed drinking. But I was like... I'm going to I'm going to have a drink. I don't know if I was aware of the fact that I was using alcohol to loosen my tongue or not, but she walked in the back door of the house and I was the only person standing in the kitchen at that particular moment. This was like the bravest thing I had ever done. I turned to her and I said, "I just really want to kiss you." She was really taken aback and kind of flustered, I think. And then she was like, um, you know, I, I'm dating three women in this city. They're all a mess. And I don't want to drag you into that, which partially, I'm sure, was an excuse and also was actually really sweet of her to not just like take advantage of this situation where this naive young thing is throwing herself at you. And she said, so we can kiss, but that's it. Is that OK? And I was like, uh-huh. And so she said, meet me in my room in like 10 minutes. And so I went to her room and we made out for a little bit. 
we were probably there together for another four weeks or so. And I think over those four weeks, we maybe made out a little bit twice more. And I even slept in her bed one night and absolutely nothing happened. So I think of her with great affection for a lot of reasons, but I think of her with a lot of gratitude because she had the opportunity to really take advantage of that situation. And she did not. Uh, After people that you had trusted did. Yeah, exactly. Have you ever had a date night that you thought was going to be super sexy only to end with a buzzkill? Years ago, I was in a new relationship with this guy. It was his birthday, and I wanted to plan something special and sexy. So I put together this elaborate scavenger hunt that turned out to be so much work for both of us. And when it was over, we were both too tired to get busy. I wish I had known about Beducated then. I could have gifted us a membership in a snap and let renowned experts take the guesswork out of sensual massage and toe-curling bedroom escapades. Beducated offers over 100 online courses on sex and intimacy and comes with a huge collection of video tutorials, audio guides, and practical exercises. With Beducated, every date night can be hotter than the last. Sign up at beducated.com. Use the code AUGUST, all lowercase, to get 50% off the yearly pass. Test the waters with a 24-hour free trial. Subscriptions are risk-free thanks to a 14-day money-back guarantee. Again, that's 50% off with the code AUGUST at beducated.com. You know what else makes spicy experiences better alone or with a partner? Lube. A quality lubricant can enhance arousal and lead to more comfortable, exciting, and pleasurable sex and even stronger orgasms. Head to thepleasurechest.com and click Sex Lube at the top to explore a whole range of awesome choices. They have curated collections of natural lubes, lubricants for sensitive skin, flavored and warming lubes, and water or silicone-based products. Turn up the heat this Valentine's Day or any day with an awesome new lube from thepleasurechest.com, a budget-friendly gift that goes a long, long way. So how did Leah go from all of that to this blossoming sexual awakening. Just before that all took shape, she said goodbye to her mom. My mom and I were super, super close. I had stayed in the Northeast because I wanted to be near her. Specifically, I had stayed in rural northern New Hampshire to be near her. There was not much of a life to be had for me there, but it just felt really important. She had been the one stable person in my life. She was my safety, especially after my dad died, because I just sort of, I went into a black hole. I went into a really serious depression and she held me through that. So when I was 39, she was diagnosed with cancer. I got to be her companion through that, along with her best friend. It was kind of the three musketeers. And it was really, really hard. But it was really good, too. Because we said everything, you know, there was nothing left unsaid. She allowed me to grieve with her, which was like this 
unbelievable gift that I don't think very many people get. But when she was gone, there was nothing holding me in New Hampshire anymore. Not only that, but Leah's mom had her make some promises before she died. Including that I wouldn't make any big decisions for a year. So a year after she died, I put her house on the market. That gave me some money that I had never, I've never had money before. I knew I didn't want to stay in New Hampshire, but I didn't know where I wanted to go. So I decided, along with my therapist, who was wonderful, I decided I was going to take up to a year to travel around the U.S. and see where I wanted to live next. A couple of days before driving off, Leah had a final session with her therapist. And there's like 15 minutes left in the session. And she says to me, you've done great work. I'm so proud of you. Like, this is going to be really great. I'm so excited to see what happens next. Are there any last things that you want to talk about in these last 15 minutes? And I, being the excellent patient client that I was, said the thing that I had not been saying for like all of the time that we had been working together, which was, I don't really have sexual sensation. (laughs) Is that something we can work on (laughs) in 15 minutes? (laughs) This is so, oh my gosh, it's so endearing though. Was it courage that came up? Was this a thing you were actively trying to keep in or did it just sort of like come to you in that moment? It was definitely something that I thought about a lot. I was deeply afraid that there was something broken. There was something wrong with my nervous system that I couldn't feel things. But I don't know that I had necessarily thought about bringing it up with her. And if I had thought about it, I would have been too embarrassed. But I'm about to walk out the door. Like, So what did she have to lose? Because sex was such a hard, scary topic for me. The belief that I held so deeply was that if anybody knew that I had sexual thoughts, feelings, attractions, they would laugh at me and say, why do you think anybody would ever be interested in you? So I think legit what kept me from ever saying that to her before was I didn't want her to laugh at me and tell me that I was ridiculous for thinking anybody would ever want me. I couldn't have bared that because she was so important to me. I look back on that now and I'm like, how the hell did I ever think that she would have said that to me? But it was such a hard and fast truth for me at that time that I couldn't see beyond it. You didn't even question it. It wasn't like a doubt. It was a certainty. Yeah. Yeah. It was an absolute certainty. And baked into you from probably the time you could talk, it sounds like. Absolutely. So anyway, I say I say this ridiculous thing to her. And beautiful. God bless her. (laughs) She had every right to be like, that is a ridiculous question. We have 15 minutes left. (laughs) But she didn't. She took me seriously. And she said, well, this is not my area of expertise. But you're about to go on the road. And you're going to be in all of these cities. And I bet somewhere you'll have the opportunity to have a session with a sex therapist if you want to. 
that was like this door of permission opening that I didn't know I needed. Here was this woman who I loved and trusted and admired and respected so much, and she was giving me permission. And with that, permission in tow, it was time for Leah to set off on her grand adventure. So, you know, I packed up my little four-door sedan, got on the road. She wasn't exactly sure what she was looking for. Sex therapy didn't quite feel right. She had talked herself to death in therapy for years, she said, and she yearned for something more hands-on. Whatever it was, she figured she might find it during one of her first stops in New York City. And I was like, well, you can find anything in New York. It's <laughs> <laughs> so true. A big apple. Yeah. With sexual self-discovery in mind, Leah started with some online querying. She'd been talking to a group of girlfriends online in a Facebook group about her trip. And I was like, y'all, this is weird to ask, and I'm sorry if this makes you uncomfortable, but I have these sexual issues, and I really would like to figure out some way to deal with them, and I'm going to be in New York. I wanted somebody to put their hands on me. So I asked, does anybody have any idea of what terms I would search to find somebody? Because I don't even know what I'm looking for. (laughs) And I said, if I actually end up going through with this, I will report back because that won't be awkward. (laughs) (laughs) I love that once the the permission door was open, you just kind of started. It was all the way open. (laughs) It's, It's so freaking great. Contrary to Leah's fears, the women did not laugh at her. Quite the opposite. The response that I got from these girlfriends was 95%. I don't know anything about this, but oh my God, please come back and tell us about it because I need to know. They were cheering me on. And then one woman gave me the words. She suggested that I try yoni massage, and maybe tantric massage. Leah searched for the term and found a woman who offered tantric massage, a type of massage that often involves your whole body, including your most intimate parts. Somebody who does this work is classified as a sex worker, and it's pretty common for sex workers to want to do a voice verify call before they're willing to meet you. So we made the appointment and she said, I'll call you at this time on this day to make sure that you're a real person. And so I expected it to be a three minute call. We ended up on the call for an hour with her taking my full sexual history because I had said to her, here's what I'm dealing with. Is this an appropriate place to bring this? So you told this person that you weren't feeling sexual Mm -hmm. sensations. Yeah, yeah. I let her know that I had a background in trauma, a background of abuse, and that pretty much all of the sex I'd had was not good. And that I was afraid there was something really wrong with me. So by the time I actually met her in person, I already felt safe with her because we'd had this long conversation already. And she welcomed you, it sounds like. Yeah. 
For real. In fact, she told me that she had been training to be a doula and she switched to tantric massage because she saw so many women trying to give birth through this just incredible pelvic dysfunction from earlier trauma. Leah had one session with a woman. It lasted for three hours. I was nervous, like jittery shaking. So the woman prompted her to sit down with her at a table. And talk for a few minutes while I um, descended into the the room (laughs) a little bit. (laughs) And then we went into the, I mean, it was a bedroom. And she had me sit down on the bed. She brought out a plate of berries and chocolate. And she said, I want you to pick what appeals to you and put it in your mouth, but I don't want you to chew. I just want you to experience it. And it was a really profound moment. I have been so disconnected from my body that I had maybe never taken a breath to experience something as opposed to just move through it. I remember so clearly, like I put a chocolate square in my mouth and I just let it melt and dissolve. And I was like, so in my own experience of this. And when I finally opened my eyes, she said, that was really sexy. And that was a really important moment for me. Leah was able to take her words at face value. She was a professional who'd worked with thousands of women after all. She had to know what she was talking about. Then the session moved into physical touch. She had asked me in advance if I wanted it to be entirely external, if I wanted to include internal, if I wanted there to be genital touch, if it was just external. Like she gave me all the options. And I was like, well, I'm only going to do this once. So let's do the whole enchilada. She started with me laying on my front while she touched my back. She found what I reacted to, which was this like real feather light kind of caressing. And that brought on a huge epiphany. I realized, oh, this has always been what I reacted to. I've even asked people for this. Maybe I didn't ask loudly enough. Maybe they didn't pay enough attention. Like, I don't know where the breakdown in that communication happened, but I rarely got it. Here I am thinking, oh, well, the kind of touch that goes along with sex is this kind of grabby, aggressive touch. And that's what I don't feel. So I don't have sexual sensation. Well, that is fucking bullshit. I have sexual sensation when somebody touches me the way that my body responds to, and my body does not respond to grabby, aggressive touch. At the end of the session, the body worker looked at her and said, you are not broken. And finally, Leah could start believing that. The next day, she jumped online and reported to her friend group. And so I like wrote this pages long screed at the top. I was like, if this is TMI, please feel free to ignore. And they all came back and were like, oh, my God, tell us more. Tell us more. And they asked all these questions. That back and forth continued as Leah traveled on with some homework from the body worker. She'd suggested that Leah seek out 
as many opportunities as possible to be touched. She said that could help her heal some lingering emotional wounds. That became my mission during my travels around the country was to find opportunities to be touched. To find those touch experiences, she hit up the classified site Craigslist. And I got really good at figuring out how to vet people. She met people in a neutral place first, like a coffee shop. I would get as much information as I could about them. Name, phone number, make of car, email address, whatever it was that I could get. And I always had at least one or two friends who had that information and who I would, you know, check in with. Leah considers the adventures that followed six months of gently expanding. And wow, did she have some escapades. Take this standout example. So I had landed in Portland. I answered a Craigslist ad, met a couple. He was very appealing to me. She intimidated the hell out of me because she had the perfect little body and the perfect little sweater clingy dress. And at the time, I was very interested in threesomes, but I was like, I cannot be in bed with her because I will spend the whole time comparing myself to her. But the three of us all got along really well, and they made it clear that they were interested in me. So I took a little bit of time to think about it. And finally, I went back to them and I was so nervous. And I said, I think that I need to kind of back up a step. I feel like a threesome right now is varsity and I need to back up to JV, yeah. <laughs> you know, and I didn't go into any details, but I was like, I am really working on recovering from some old shit. Leah sent this guy, she calls Matt, a message. Matt, you seem like the kind of man who would be really good at being with a woman through this experience of healing. Is that something you're interested in? She hit send and sat there so nervous. She thought for sure that either they were going to laugh at me or they were going to shame me for like, well, you came in for a threesome and now she was changing her mind to only have sex with Matt. Thankfully, she didn't have to worry for long. Within 10 minutes, his reply popped up. He said, Oh my God, this is the bravest, most awesome thing I've ever read. Yes, absolutely. And then I got a message from her like a minute and a half later, and she was like, absolutely, I think you should do this. <laughs> and I'm totally in support of it. So Matt and Leah got together. And he, he asked me, what do you want? But not in that like, hey, baby, what do you want? That makes it feel like, oh, I have to come up with an answer that you're going to really enjoy. He was asking me what I wanted. And so I, I said this thing that I had been fantasizing about for years, but had never actually asked for, which was, I would like for you to touch me without me having to reciprocate so that I can just feel. And I want to not feel like I have to touch your deck until I'm really ready. And he was like, oh my God, absolutely. (laughs) And we played for hours that day. 
we would play for a little bit and it would be amazing. And then all of a sudden my nervous system would get overwhelmed and I would start to cry or I would pull away or something. And he followed me. He'd like, okay, do you need to take a break? He would hold me because that's what worked for me. And then after a few minutes, my nervous system would calm back down and we would start again. Leah and Matt were in a comfortable flow when he asked her another question that felt big and honestly perplexing. Would it be okay with you if I touched myself while looking at you? Which was deeply confusing for me because, you know, still dealing with this whole I'm so unattractive that nobody could possibly want me thing. Still, she thought, I guess if that's what you want. And so he did. He started masturbating and he was like, he was legit looking at me, (laughs) you know. And after a minute, I started to get really squirrely. He called her on it. What was going on? And I said, well, I feel like I'm supposed to be doing that for you. And he said, no, we made the agreement that you're not going to touch my dick until you're ready. I was like, but that doesn't seem fair. He's like, no, that's what we agreed. That's what consent means. And my brain fucking exploded all over the room. How did I get to 43 years old? And I literally had no fucking idea what consent meant. I was the first time it ever occurred to me that I wasn't there to be pleasing and to be there for somebody else, for their benefit. How did that impact your body and your the pleasure for the rest of that? Were you more relaxed? Mm. Was it just a lot to take in? Oh, yeah. It was a lot to process, but I was able to relax more. I was able to give in to that feeling of, oh, he actually is genuinely attracted to me, and this is a thing he's really enjoying, and it's okay if I don't participate. Leah continued to learn a lot through her gentle unfolding and her active seeking, as she called it, which lasted a good six months more. And that included more adventures. I went to Boulder, Colorado, and I found a couple to have a threesome with. I went to my first, like, house sex party. I booked a five-day trip to hedonism in Jamaica, a swingers club, where I did not do a single thing for five days. Like, I did not touch another person, no kissing, no boobies, no nothing. I discovered that a swingers culture is not the right place for me. But I had the opportunity to be naked for five days in public and to learn that, oh, nobody's telling me to put my clothes on and go back inside. My body is just like everybody else's body. Of the many places she ventured, Leah found the greatest sense of community in Portland where she's still planted today. I got to Portland and I found the organization Sex Positive Portland. They have a whole bunch of introductory classes that you have to take. And so I got to take classes on consent and boundaries and all of these things. And again, my, like my mind is just exploding on a regular basis. Armed with those skills, skills she continues to practice and hone, Leah started attending actual touch events where I began having more and more opportunities to blow the lid off of of my comfort zone. 
you know, I met people at the events who I would then contact and play with outside. So it was like six months of being on the road of just sort of like gently going. And then I, I got to Portland and then there was another six months of just having all of the fun with all of the people. <laughs> As is often the case with those really exploratory, sexy periods of life, Leah learned a lot about herself through the process, about her desires, what she enjoys, and her identity. After all that, not that there was like a finish line and I'm done exploring or anything like that. I know that's not the case. But like, do you identify in a certain way, relationship style? Like what's your mm -hmm. sexuality kind of palette like these days and relationship wise and stuff? I love that sexuality palette. It used to be very scary for me to admit that I was attracted to multiple genders. Now that's easy. I have been with my partner for, I think, coming up on six years. We spent a lot of that time monogamous because we needed that foundation. About maybe a year and a half ago, we decided we wanted to open. Meaning they agreed that they could have sex outside of the relationship. And that has been such an incredible beautiful journey for us. I think I started with a leg up. No pun intended. Because I do coach people through, you know, conversations and communication is my specialty. That's right. Leah's journey of healing and discovery led her to become an intimacy coach. So I came in with a toolbox full and was able to guide us through this process and make sure that we had all the conversations we needed to. And the timing turned out to be helpful, too. Three or four months after we opened, I ended up starting to have some health issues that basically took my body kind of offline for most of the last year, just having zero sex drive and also being under doctor's orders to not have any kind of penetration. The fact that he's had somewhere else to go to get his physical needs met when I couldn't meet them. Thank God on his behalf that he had that. And also thank God on my behalf that I wasn't sitting here so stressed out all the time because I wasn't meeting his needs and somehow I was being a bad partner. Leah isn't polyamorous. Managing more than one relationship, she said, just doesn't speak to her. But she loves that she and her partner can have their needs met sexually in multiple ways when they desire. That's a big part of her own desires that she discovered through all of her exploring. Do you think back on you before you started this journey, before you had this out loud, um, I was going to say emission, but that sounds like ejaculating. Okay, we'll use that. This emission in your therapy office. Before that, could you imagine like if you met future you who came up and oh said, God. by the way, next year you're going to have a threesome and you're going to be <laughs> at this touch event where you're going to squirt or whatever it is. But like all these things, how do you think you would have felt? I couldn't even say the word masturbation out loud. So if you had come to me and said like five years from now, you're going to be a sex and intimacy coach, I would have laughed you. Oh, my God. <laughs> I would have told you to get your head examined because there was just there was absolutely no context for that whatsoever. But along the way, she had a light bulb moment again with the posse who had cheered her on. 
And the more I share, the more they start coming back to me with their own stories and questions. And I'm like, huh, I actually have answers for these questions. Like, I know a thing or two. Beyond intimacy coaching, Leah was intrigued by all the story sharing that was happening among her friends. So she started her very thoughtful podcast, Good Girls Talk About Sex, where she coaches people in real time. Many are working through shame, much like Leah has. What I have heard from listeners is that it is incredibly healing for them to hear other people tell variations of their own story and to know I'm not alone. I'm not broken. I'm not weird. I'm not perverted, like whatever the thing is that they're afraid of. If you relate to Leah's story, maybe you sense the need for some sexual exploration or you want to find some healing or discover new desires. She wants you to know that it is never, ever too late. I was in my early 40s when I started this journey. I've met people in their 80s who are having rollicking sex lives. There's this idea, especially for women, that we sort of lose our attractiveness, but also our capacity for sex when we hit menopause. I mean, that is some patriarchal man shit. (laughs) I want people to have that as a soundbite because (laughs) it's so true that that's the message that we get in so many different ways. And it's so easy to internalize that message and to just give up on ourselves and on our sexuality. Yeah, it would have been so easy for me to think I'm in my early 40s. I probably only have seven or eight years left. So why even try? Oh, my God, I would have missed so much. Leah clarified that her own sex drive changes are not related to aging or menopause, but to surgery and trauma her body has been through over the past year. I absolutely am looking forward to getting back to being fully sexual. Whatever that means for her at the time, the specifics are different for all of us. But one thing Leah is sure of is her commitment to doing so shamelessly. And she wants that for everyone. You know, so much of my work is about normalizing all of the experiences. Like, there's really nothing wrong with you. There are things that people want that they're ashamed of. None of that is shameful. And we can have that conversation all day, any day. But there's also this sense of, here are all of the ways that I'm broken. Here are all of the ways that my body doesn't work the way it's supposed to. Here are all of the ways that I have been sexually impure that I judge myself for. Like there's all of this judgment. And what is so clear to me over and over and over is that every one of those things came from somewhere. So whether it's like me, I didn't have sensation because I wasn't being touched the right way. Like, that is for real. Also, somebody who chooses to find their validation through having a lot of casual sex partners, we're so judgmental about that. And I hear people being so judgmental of themselves. And yet, it is so obvious to me when I talk to them and hear their stories, that they are dealing with something. And this is an not just logical, but actually really adaptive way of dealing with it. 
when my body turned off this year, I was able to come to it with this sense of, oh yeah, that makes sense. There's, there's just not enough energy for everything right now. That's cool. Yeah. And you can still have a really healthy relationship with your partner. Oh, yeah. You can explore dating if you want to. And mm-hmm. yeah, that's really beautiful. Yeah. For more from Leah, visit leahcarry.com. There you can find a fun quiz called, Who is your sex and relationship alter ego? You answer a few questions, then get matched up with someone from pop culture who embodies challenges you might be having yourself. Then you can see how they manifest and start working through them. If you're enjoying Girl Boner Radio, please make sure you've hit the follow button on your favorite podcast app. I would also so love it if you would share links with your friends. As always, thank you for listening. 